This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, everybody, it's Lon Seidman, and it's time once again for your weekly wrap-up. And today we're going to be covering some errata from my 90s internet video. We're going to be talking about Sega coming up with a Genesis slash Mega Drive Mini, but it's from a source you may not be all that happy about. Piecing your NUC together, we're going to look at all the components you need to get a bare-bones NUC working and how much those components cost. We're also going to be looking at shell accounts and how they are still modern, even though I called it the 90s in that video from a week or two ago. And we're going to look at the top 10 countries that watch this channel. So lots to cover. Let's get into it. And I want to begin first by thanking our newest contributor here on the channel, Al Vanderlaan, along with everyone who's contributed to the channel, because those contributions, along with your subscriptions and your viewership of this channel, helps to grow the channel. So I want to thank everyone for their support. And as a reminder, the funds that come in via Patreon or through my donor box page uh, go to our employee here, Corey, who's been helping to make things a lot more efficient here. So that money is being put to good use. And I want to thank everyone for their contributions. Now, we've got a non-ad this week, no sponsor, but this is an affiliate link for Blue Apron. And they've got a special going here for the month of April where you get five meals free with your first two orders on Blue Apron. And what you see on screen is what I am getting this week. Uh, sheep pan curry chicken, one pan udon noodle stir fry, and barbecue beef tacos. Typically, you get about nine different things you can choose from at Blue Apron. And you can do, like, I think six meals a week or as few as two. I picked the three. Uh, that costs about uh, 10 bucks per person per meal, which is not that bad, especially considering you don't have to spend the time grocery shopping. And uh, every week you're making something different and learning how to cook, which has been uh, one of the things I've really liked about Blue Apron, especially since I'm working home now and have a little more time to prepare meals at the end of the night. Uh, you do need to probably give yourself about a half hour to 45 minutes to get everything prepared. But if you have a helper in the kitchen, that will certainly speed things up a bit. But I've been very pleased with it over the last year uh, that I've been subscribed to Blue Apron. And if you uh, give them a shot, we'll get a small commission for your trial. Now, on the Extras channel this week, we unboxed an Oppo UDP203. Uh, this is a 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray player that I am adding to my home theater setup upstairs. If you recall, we got that uh, LG OLED around the holiday season a few months ago, and I've been trying to piece together all the different things to really make use of that TV. It's been a little more expensive than I anticipated having to buy a new receiver, and uh, I made some mistakes buying the uh, Xbox One S as my 4K Blu-ray player, so I'm correcting that here with the Oppo. Unfortunately, Oppo is going away, and this is kind of one of the more highly regarded Blu-ray disc players out there, so I figured I should get one before they are extinct. So that's the uh, unboxing, and hopefully later this week, We'll have a review of that Oppo, so if you've been thinking about one before they disappear, you'll get a good idea as to what you can do with it. I'm hoping I can use it for network Blu-ray playback, so that will be something I'll cover in that review. On the main channel, we did a lot of NUC stuff this week because I had a follow-up on the uh, dual-core NUC involving its power consumption, 4K, Netflix, HDR, and emulation. 
Uh, we also looked at the new dock from Lenovo that has a built-in GPU. It does require a Thunderbolt PC for it to work, but we did find it worked fairly well in the stuff that we tested with it, and it's very compact as well. And I also got in a new quad-core Gemini Lake NUC, which is powered by the Pentium Silver J5005 chip. So this looks identical to the one I uploaded two weeks ago from a physical hardware standpoint, but it is a very different computer in that it's a lot faster, actually, uh, partly because it has more cores, but I think it's clocked faster for its graphics as well. And I was really impressed with what this little uh, $200 bare-bones computer can do, and I'm really eager now to check out what other manufacturers do uh, with this Gemini Lake chipset as the year progresses. We saw a pretty big bump in performance last year when we went from Braswell to Apollo Lake, uh, and now that we're going from Apollo Lake to Gemini Lake, we're again seeing some pretty substantial increases in overall performance, which is great to see these days because we don't see that much of a difference really in uh, processors at the high end lately from one generation to the next. So uh, we'll keep an eye on this chipset. We'll have more on it as the year progresses. Now, I do have one piece of errata from our 90s internet video from a week or two ago. Uh, that was a video where I showed what the internet looked like to me back in the 90s when I had a dial-up to a shell account uh, before the World Wide Web became accessible to uh, us mere mortals out there. And one of the things that I talked about in that video was a text editor called Pico that I used on my shell account back then. And I mentioned how now it is called Nano, and it looks the same. And I wrongly assumed uh, that Nano came from the Pico project. But in fact, that is not correct. Nano uh, came from somebody we all know here on the channel, Chris Allegretta, who's a gold level supporter here on the channel. And I completely just did not take the time uh, to look up who wrote Nano. And sure enough, Chris is the guy behind it. So I wanted to set the record straight that Nano is not part of Pico. Uh, Nano is a unique piece of software that was constructed so that uh, it could be legally distributed on uh, most of these very popular Linux installations that are out there, like Ubuntu, like our Raspberry Pi. Uh, even the Mac has Nano uh, built into it because Nano can be freely distributed amongst those distributions. And Chris is the guy behind it all. He got fed up having to reinstall Pico every time he wanted to use it, and he decided to write his own clone of it, which he did, and then it got uh, a GNU certification, and it is now included on, again, just about every Linux installation that's out there and every Mac that is out there as well. So I want to apologize to Chris for getting that wrong. I should have looked this up and spent a little bit more time on it, and uh, we'll set the record straight now. We'll pull this video out as a snippet and attach it uh, to that original video so we can make sure we get the record set straight on that. I apologize to Chris once again, and uh, when we make mistakes here on the channel, we own up to them, and I really appreciate everybody out there who is keeping me uh, up to date on things that I screw up on so that I can correct the record when necessary. And uh, in the meantime, pull up Nano and start using it if you want a good, quick, and easy uh, terminal-based text editor. It is the best one out there, in my opinion. And now it's time for a couple of things that are on my mind, and this is week 58 of me doing this as a full-time occupation. And uh, we've had a pretty good two weeks here on the channel. It looks like people really like the mini PCs and some of the more unique products like the Thunderbolt dock here. So I, I did three videos plus the wrap-up last week. Uh, some weeks you'll notice I do four or five, and it really depends on how much momentum each video gets on my real-time counter. I think I talked about that a week or two ago. And uh, we had very good traffic over the last two weeks, and that's given me some time to spend some more time on uh, other projects I'm working on here for the channel. So uh, all in a good production 
productive week, and hopefully this week will be equally productive. I also wanted to let you know that the panel that I was on uh, at PAX East last week is now available to you to listen to. Uh, so Ken Gagney, who has the Polygamer podcast, put it up on his podcast feed. And what I'm doing is linking to Ken's link uh, in my own podcast feed. So you can go to Polygamer and listen to it there or just pull up my podcast feed and uh, listen to it as well. We talk about Patreon and uh, how we use it here on the channel and some of my thoughts behind it. So you can uh, listen to that as well as uh, hear some other content creators that I was on the panel with and how they're using it as well. So definitely check that out on the podcast feed. And in the news this week, I was excited to see that Sega was announcing an official Sega Genesis slash Mega Drive mini console, kind of like the uh, NES Classic Edition, if you will. But unfortunately, uh, Sega is not directly manufacturing it. That came out a little later in the day when AT Games, who makes a lot of those inexpensive clone consoles, announced that they will be the hardware partner behind this new device. Now, they've had a mixed track record with some of these clone consoles. Uh, the Atari stuff, people say they do pretty well, but I was disappointed with some of their Sega Genesis attempts in the past, as well as their uh, ColecoVision device that wasn't all that great either. Uh, we'll have to see how this one comes together, but unfortunately, this is not Sega making it. Uh, they're going to be relying on a licensee that they have been uh, allowing to make hardware for them in the past that has not done such a great job of it. So I'm really hoping Sega uh, puts in some of their own effort here to help this be a better product because this might really tick off and disappoint a lot of Sega fans if it isn't good. Uh, so let's hope that it comes out better than the other ones have, and I'll uh, probably do a review of this when it comes out. And now it's time for a Q&A from you, the viewers. And our first question comes in here from Mr. R.W. Mack about the Intel NUC devices I reviewed over the last two weeks. And uh, if you'll recall, those devices are bare-bones kits, meaning that when you buy the NUC, it won't work until you buy three more important components, RAM, storage, and an operating system. The operating system part might be optional, um, but when you do buy those three things together, uh, those three items often cost more than the bare bones NUC does itself. And that is certainly a consideration that people need to have in mind here. And uh, it's true, as Mr. R.W. Mack here points out, that you could uh, really be looking at $400 to get things up and running. And wouldn't a small laptop perhaps outperform that? Uh, it's possible, depending on the laptop and where you get it from and all that. But uh, one of the things that I wanted to explore in this series was the new chipset. Uh, that is powering it because we're going to be seeing these chips on a lot of other low-cost PCs, some that will likely cost less than uh, what the NUX cost. But I did want to just put together kind of a grid here of some stuff that I found on Amazon last night just to come up with some basic complete prices you should expect when uh, looking at one of these bare-bones NUX. So uh, you do have to install the RAM in pairs, as I mentioned, and they are using now DDR4 RAM. Uh, so Crucial has a kit where you get two sticks of four gigabytes in a single uh, SKU. Uh, that cost $87. Uh, we also found a Kingston 120 gigabyte solid state drive, a SATA drive, uh, for about $44 on Amazon last night. And then uh, Amazon has Windows 10 licenses for the Windows 10 Home Edition uh, for $92.99. So no matter which NUC you get, either the dual core or the quad core, uh, these components will work in either of those. And it uh, looks like about $223.98 is the starting point on that. So 
uh, that was kind of the, uh, the, the, the least expensive entry point I could find. So on the dual-core J4005 device, you're looking at about $360 complete. Uh, the J5005 is a little over $400, about $424 to get uh, that computer uh, completely configured and ready to go. And of course, you could decide not to activate Windows and just run with those activation notices all the time, or uh, you can install Linux on your little NUC and knock off $93, and that gets our quad-core version down to about 330 bucks. And right now, the nightly versions of Ubuntu are supporting the Gemini Lake chips. Not all distributions do just yet, so I think it'll take a little bit of time for these drivers to get themselves worked into most of the major uh, Linux distributions out there, but I am sure they're going to get there. Um, so that will certainly reduce cost for you if you don't want to pay for Windows or use Windows. You'll have some other options here. And one other thing with these Intel devices is that they are supported and you do get a warranty with them. I think it's a three-year warranty, if I'm not mistaken, on the NUC. And that is something you won't get with a cheaper device you might get off of GearBest, for example. I always uh, lead those reviews from, uh, about GearBest devices up front by saying that you're kind of buying at your own risk because if something goes wrong you know, eight months down the road, you may not have support from the manufacturer when that thing does finally die on you. Uh, whereas Intel will support the device. I used to have a saying in my day job and I worked in the IT world, I think this is probably something a lot of other IT people have said over the years as well, which is that nobody has ever gotten fired for choosing Intel. And I think that is something that you may want to keep in the back of your head as you're out shopping for one of these mini PCs, is that if you don't care if it breaks eight months down the road, then you know, spend 150 bucks on a computer. But if you do want something to work over the long term or uh, it needs to work, I think going with a major brand and paying a little bit more might give you a better peace of mind. One funny anecdote about that is as I was researching the HDR issue, I went on to the Intel forums and asked the question, like, what's the definitive answer on HDR? Uh, somebody from Intel monitors that forum. They responded within about two or three days. And then uh, I didn't click the little button on there that says that the question was answered. And they kept emailing me. And it wasn't just like a robot. It was an actual person emailing me, asking me if my question has been answered to my satisfaction. And it was just kind of funny to see you know, somebody just monitoring those forums enough to make sure that every person in there asking a question is satisfied with the answer. It gives you an idea as to the support that you might get for the product down the road. So yes, you might pay a little bit more upfront, but I think you'll get a little bit more in return. And PJ Warren makes a very good point in this comment about my 90s internet video, which is that although it might have been a throwback for me to access the internet in that way, uh, the tools I was using on the Raspberry Pi here are in fact current 21st century open source tools. They are still being maintained. People are still adjusting the code and making them work on modern hardware. And uh, in fact, the Raspberry Pi we were using was running uh, modern versions of those old tools that I used 20 something years ago. And uh, PJ points out that he's still operating uh, with a Unix shell account and finds it to be a very efficient way to get around the internet. And uh, you of course can do that as well. You can uh, use one of these Raspberry Pis. If you have a Mac, you can load up your terminal window to do that. Uh, if you have a PC that is capable of running Linux, as most are, uh, you can install a Linux distribution, for example, and use command line tools that way. And if you're stuck on another operating system and have no other options, you can sign up for a free shell account. And that's one of the other things PJ pointed out in the comment is that there are many free shell services out there. I found this website called Free Shell Accounts. So you can find it at the link down below. Use this at your own risk, of course, but 
Uh, these are some examples of places where you can get a free uh, Unix shell account to play around with, and these are often already configured, so you don't have to go through the process of installing all these different tools. You can log into something for free and uh, experiment with it and see what works, so that's an option for you. And if you want to ease yourself into a command line lifestyle, one fun thing to do would be to log into a BBS system, which are a little friendlier to use, yet still have that uh, text-based interface. And if you want to see a complete video on what BBS systems were all about, you can check out the video I did about two years ago, which people still find every day uh, when they're looking for their nostalgic BBS fix. And there is a great website called the Telnet BBS Guide that is keeping track of all of the bulletin board systems that are still out there and operating. And there's been kind of a resurgence over the last maybe year or two uh, with people taking out retro computers and putting bulletin board systems on them and connecting them to the internet. And I think this might be a fun topic for an upcoming live stream where maybe we take a few classic computers and try to log into them uh, via this uh, Telnet BBS guide and find some, some really good examples of uh, these BBSs that you can still access today. So the command line internet is still very real and very usable. And it's a really great way, actually, to learn more about how the underpinnings of your computer work in the process of uh, messing around inside of those terminal windows there. Uh, so if you're on Windows and can't get an open source operating system going, one of those free shell accounts might work, or uh, get yourself a Raspberry Pi. And if you break it, you can just reformat the card and start over again. And Haikuru-san from Brazil had a really good question that was kind of fun to investigate, which is, what are the top 10 countries that watched this channel, and he mentions that he happens to know two other people in Brazil uh, who also watched the channel, which was cool to hear. So I did some research for you all. Uh, this is my watch time report for 2018. So this is not views yet. This is just the amount of time people spend on the channel watching a video. Uh, the U.S. gets 51%, and then you can see below it are uh, the top 10 non-U.S. countries insofar as watch time is concerned. And uh, you can see Brazil is number 10 on the list of non-U.S. countries watching the channel, so that's good to see. And you can see some of the other countries here by watch time. Uh, it's really neat is just how international this audience is, because if we switch over to views, and you got to look on that second column there, uh, you can see that... Uh, the U.S. is only 41% of my overall viewership when we're counting views. And most of the views on this channel come from outside the United States. And you can see where uh, things fall when we just sort the list by views. So France pops up on the list. I think they knocked Sweden out, uh, which was on the watch time report there. Uh, you can just get a good breakdown here of views versus watch time. Uh, YouTube really favors watch time when measuring the success of a channel. In other words, how, how many minutes can you keep people glued on the YouTube platform is what you are rewarded for uh, versus just straight up views here. But no matter which way you look at it, uh, about half of the audience is coming from around the world, which is really great uh, that we live in an era where I could just put a video up and uh, within a few minutes, everybody throughout the world can watch it. It's really pretty cool to uh, be in a world that that can happen in. And I know a lot of people like my daughters are growing up in a world where that's normal. But uh, back in my day, it was really hard to get a message out to the rest of the world, even uh, with a computer. You had to sp spend a lot of money to get something out to people and to be able to just make a video and post it and have the whole world watch it is uh, just amazing to me, and uh, despite all the challenges the Internet uh, brings us in connecting everybody together, I still think there is far more benefit to connecting the world than uh, there is by not having the world connected. So uh, we'll keep an eye on this list as the year progresses, but I appreciate everybody watching, no matter where in the world you are watching from. And now it's time for a Q&A for you, and I've been getting a lot of people asking me about doing another AMD 
PC build, and what I want to do is build the least expensive AMD computer I can. I want to try to see if we can replicate uh, the NUC, for example, in an AMD package and see how the AMD version uh, compares to what we just saw with Gemini Lake for the same money. Now, I know AMD is working on a processor to compete with the Gemini Lake devices. I'm not sure if that's available yet, but I know a lot of you watching are experts on AMD hardware, so uh, leave me some links down below. Maybe do some PC part builder links or something so we can start uh, getting this project started because I definitely want to do something with AMD and give them a fair shake here on the channel as well. Uh, so let me know. We haven't done one of those AMD PC builds in a while, so I wanted to do that. So let me know what you think down in the comments below for our question of the week. Now, our channel of the week this week is a fun one that I definitely want you to check out. So a couple of years ago, we interviewed a guy at one of the SpaceX launches I went to by the name of Jeff Seibert. And Jeff, for many years, has been setting up these remote camera rigs at the launch pads of these rockets that launch from Florida. Here is uh, one with the SpaceX launch pad. This was before the launch pad exploded after that horrible incident a couple of years ago. Uh, and Jeff here is showing off one of the rigs that he's put together for these remote camera things that he does. He's got still photos, but he's also been doing a lot more video lately. And he has a YouTube channel where he puts all of this video. And this guy works his tail off. He is at every single launch that goes up from Florida, and he's been perfecting his rig here. He's built these things from scratch that uh, detect humidity and keep the lenses clear of moisture and everything, and uh, he's really perfected it. I've known him uh, quite a while, and it's been fun to watch the progression of his hardware. Every time he goes to a launch, he learns something new and applies that in his design. Now he's got a bunch of these rigs that really deliver some cool footage. So he's got a YouTube channel up here at lon.tv slash Jeff Seibert, and you can check him out there and subscribe. And what I love about his footage is that it is just raw footage, and literally raw footage. He sets the camera up. He's got a bunch of different cameras set up so you can get a real feel for this stuff. And it's almost like what it would be like if you were standing right next to one of these rockets when they lifted off. It is a really just an amazing experience to see one of these in person. And this is pretty close to getting that experience. In fact, this is an experience you never would have in person because you're not permitted to be this close to these rockets when they lift off. So his, uh, his rigs have uh, uh, audio sensors in them. And when they detect that loud noise of the rocket, uh, they switch on the video camera and then switch on the still cameras to begin shooting. And he has got a whole bunch of these launches up from a whole bunch of different angles. And they are always fun to watch if you really just want to get an appreciation for what it takes to launch something into space. So go on and subscribe to Jeff Seibert's channel with the link down there below. Uh, tell him I sent you because I need to catch up with him one of these days the next time we get down for a SpaceX launch. So I've got a couple of things planned for the channel this week. The first is getting this 4K monitor reviewed. This is that 24-inch 4K monitor I reviewed the other day. I chose a 24-inch because it needs to fit on the desk here. So that is why I went with a small monitor, but it looks really nice and sharp at that size. So I'll let you know what I think about that. I still got to do my game tests on it and stuff. Uh, we're also going to look at the new Gemini Lake NUC, uh, specifically the dual-core NUC, and we're going to see how well it can transcode video in real time for Plex uh, with its hardware transcoding capabilities. Uh, what I'm going to do is probably run uh, three uh, simultaneous streams in different formats as one of the tests. So we'll do MPEG-2, H.264, and H.265 HEVC and see if the NUC can do all three at the same time. And if it can't, uh, we'll pull out the, the quad-core one and see if that one does a little better. So that's coming up later this week. That will be a sponsored video from Plex. I also hope to get around to the review on the Oppo Blu-ray player. 
Uh, so that hopefully will be happening this week. Once I get that Plex video done, I'm going to move on to that. And then we're um, probably going to get to this one next week because I have to figure out some stuff to uh, demonstrate with it. But I got this new Nighthawk router through the Amazon Vine program. This is designed specifically for gamers. And it has a lot of uh, packet prioritization features on it that I'm trying to figure out the best way to demonstrate. So uh, that is on the horizon. Any suggestions you have for that would be appreciated. I'm also hoping this week to also get our sponsored video up from the Mocha Alliance, which is where uh, we're going to compare using Mocha to extend your network uh, versus a Wi-Fi mesh system in some different scenarios and uh, how Mocha performs in those scenarios. It's a good, uh, we spent a lot of time on this one and I've uh, done a lot of different types of tests that uh, in this particular video gamers might be concerned about, specifically ping rates uh, to servers and whatnot. So be on the lookout for that one later this week. Now, if you want to help support the channel, you can. You can go to lon.tv support and make a monthly or one-time contribution to the channel to keep the lights on around here. We also have our ongoing relationship with Plex, where if you sign up for a free Plex account, no credit card required at lon.tv Plex, we get a small commission. We also have a Plex Pass link there. If you're ready to uh, get into the Plex Pass system, you can uh, do that through that link there, and we'll get a commission for that. You can also give a Plex Pass as a gift to somebody else, and you can use that link on screen there to do that, and we'll get a commission from that. I have other channels you might want to look at, my extras channel for unboxings and supplementary content. We have the audio podcast, which is this show and my monthly podcast and probably a few other things now too. Uh, you can find an audio form there. The snippets channel are portions of this video and others that are more search friendly. And then my live stream archive is at lon.tv slash live streams. And if you want to be kept up to date every time something is uploaded to the channel, click on that bell and you'll get notified by email and on your push notifications every time I upload something or go live. So that's something you may want to do if you like uh, to watch stuff on the channel here. We have other ways to engage though. We've got my email list at lon.tv slash email my Facebook page at lon.tv slash Facebook, and we have an active Facebook group at lon.tv slash Facebook group where viewers are connecting to each other and me, so definitely stop by there and sign up. Uh, I do ask two simple questions on there uh, when you do join, just to keep the spammers out. If you don't answer the questions, you don't get in. They're very easy to answer, but we do need to be able to make sure the people coming in really want to be in the community and contribute versus spamming. So uh, answer those questions. If you haven't gotten in yet and didn't answer the questions, if you go in and do that, I will approve you. And of course, we've got the store at lon.tv store where I resell things that I have uh, bought to review and I'm now ready to get rid of. So we've got two things up there today that haven't sold yet. We've got the, uh, the little Zotac mini PC along with the Google Daydream. And once I'm done with those NUCs, I'm going to probably sell the dual core NUC first and hold on to the quad core for a little bit. So be on the lookout for that. If you want to know when new things go on the store, uh, go to lon.tv slash store alert and you'll get an email every time I update the store. So that's going to do it for this week's weekly wrap up. Please keep those comments and suggestions coming because they help uh, give me some new ideas for new content and often uh, give me some reason to correct myself when I get things wrong like I did at the beginning of the video here. So keep it all coming down below in the comment stream and uh, more to come this week. And as always, I really greatly appreciate uh, everyone who watches, contributes, and helps this channel grow. Until next time, this is Lon Seidman, and thanks for watching. This channel is brought to you by the Lon.TV supporters including gold-level supporters of the Black Eyed and Blues Music Hour podcast, Chris Allegretta, 
and Kalyan Kumar. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month. Head over to lon.tv slash support to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe. Visit lon.tv slash s.